Thank you, Eric, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning, Bethany. We're continuing a series in Exodus, and so we'll be looking at uh, some passages from Exodus 12, 13, 14, and 15. So four chapters, not every verse. We'll just get a kind of an overview of this. But we have a theme this morning about remembering. And so I'll invite you to pray with me, and then we'll look at what God has to say to us as God continues to shape each of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much that we can gather within these walls, listen for your voice. Thank you for the day. Thank you for the gift of fellowship. Thank you for the breath that is each of us. May you so fill us, so animate us, so transform us, Father, that we leave here better representing your heart. Uh, Thank you for the work you've already done this morning in lives. And now we commit these moments to you. In the name of Christ, who is our hope, amen. When I was in seminary, uh, there were many words and many forgettable words, if I can be honest. I mean, there's things that come and go, and you don't remember them. But there's a, there's a moment, kind of frozen in time, that I remember, because I and a few other students were pondering an important question, and the question we were pondering was this, why, why if we're in Christ, do we sin at all? Does this make sense as a question? In other words, if I have in me nothing less than the resurrected life of Christ, if I have the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ, the strength of Christ, the hope of Christ... Why on earth would I ever sin? And so we'd gather for a little Bible study, some of us students, with trying to understand that question. And finally, in exasperation, we invited our favorite professor to lunch, and we asked him, we said, why why do we sin? And this way he said, I'll never forget it, because it's helped me and changed me. He said, we sin because we forget who we are. I wrote it down, it sunk in, it's helped me. Let me illustrate for you. Now, I have a car, a little Yaris, and I, I need to drive once in a while, as we all do, and twice in the last 10 days, I've lost my keys. It's super annoying when that happens, right? You all have done it, we've all done it, and then we spend time looking, and so not only can I not transport, but uh, I'm spending time that I'm not transporting, looking for the key that will enable me to transport, so I'm also not doing anything meaningful at all. I'm just looking for keys. Pretty quickly, I get annoyed, and both times, here's what happened. Look, 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 get mad, shake my fist a little bit, mad at me, really. Why am I not organized? And then, where are my keys? Both times. In my back pocket, (laughs) my back pocket. And I t- I've taken and put my keys in my back pocket because, I, look at this, I have so many keys. These keys are the size of a baseball, right? And I, I don't like a big bulge in the front, so I put them in my back pocket. And then I'm looking around for my keys. I can't find my keys. And I look and I look. And I had them the whole time. And the reason I share that is this is exactly what my friend in seminary was saying when he tried to explain to us, why do we, why do we lapse into sin having come to Christ? Why do, we, why do we sin? Here's why, because we forget our true identity. In other words, in Christ, you are A, blessed with every spiritual blessing. B, adopted. C, filled with the Holy Spirit. D, filled with nothing less than the resurrection life of Christ who will enable you to be the person you could never be apart from Christ. You're filled, blessed, empowered to live differently, and yet, all of a sudden, we forget it. We wake up and we default into who we used to be. And so then we spend our lives looking 
for that which will enable us to live the life for which we know we're called. It's out there. There's a life out there, and I'm here. And this life is free from addiction, but I have it. This life is free from anger, but I'm angry. This life is free from self-medicating, but I life, this life is free from body image issues, from, from bitterness, from hate, from lust, from greed, from violence. I know it's there. I go after it, but I can't get there. Why? Here's why. You're already there in Christ. And you're trying to get what you already have. You're looking for keys, and they're in your back pocket. And so what God has done in this narrative passage in Exodus is he's trying to show us how critical it is that we remember who we are in Christ, we who are in Christ. Because as I remember and give thanks for the works of God, the presence of God, the life of God, as I give thanks for who I am, I begin to live into the reality of that. But when I forget, I I begin to live in a fog and then I'm trying to do for God what God wants to do through me. I miss it. I miss my life. So, three kind of scenes to show us significant places where we're called to remember in the Bible. First, there's a meal, it's the Passover meal, where we're called to remember the basis of our life. Second, there's a miracle uh, where we're called to remember the acts of God and celebrate. And third, there's the desert where we're called to remember God's presence, even even when we don't see anything that is life-giving. The meal, the miracle, the desert. So, we begin with a meal and uh, remembering the basis of your life in Christ. So what's happening here in the meal, uh, just to review for those of you who know your Bibles pretty well and to give you an update for those who don't, Israel has been in slavery for 400 years uh, in in Egypt, and now when we come to this scene, uh, God has invoked some plagues on, on Egypt, right, as a means of kind of waking Egypt up so that they will allow Israel to be set free, so that they can live into the freedom which God has created them to enjoy, is a picture of God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves and, the, and kind of the culmination of this, of this series of plagues that is intended to change the heart of Egypt and allow Israel freedom. The culmination is in chapter 12. And so here's what we pick up the story of chapter 12, verse 3. God says to Moses, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, everybody take a lamb for yourselves according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. And he goes on, he gives some details about taking this lamb, allowing the lamb to come and, and be, in a sense, in the house with you. Keep it, keep it for 14 days. And at the end of 14 days, when the sun goes down at twilight, verse um, uh, uh, six, the, at twilight, you're to kill the lamb. And then you, you, you drain some blood from this uh, uh, sacrificed lamb into a little bowl, and you paint the blood on the, on the door, on the posts, and on the beam over the door. That's what you're supposed to do. And then God says, uh, skipping down to chapter 12, uh, verse 23, God says, God is going to pass through Egypt and kill the firstborn of both flocks and families um, where, where there's no blood on the door. And then this is where we get the word Passover. However, when God sees the blood on the door, the Lord will pass over that house. Do you see? So that's, uh, when we talk about Passover, that's what we're talking about. And, and so <laughs> here's the deal. This is a picture for us. I mean, there's many, I, I, know, I know the text creates questions about, you know, killing and plagues and all those things. And I understand that. Unfortunately, we don't have time to address those things this morning. 
uh, but they're worth addressing. We will, we will address them at some point, but I, there's something very important that I want you to see. In other words, this is at least personally for me, often how I need to approach Scripture. There are things, when I come to Scripture, and I go, man, uh, and I, if you see my Bible, when I come to Scripture and I have a question, like, why did God do it that way? I put a question mark. I've got plenty of question marks. But then don't allow the question marks to derail what you can learn and do know. Does that make sense? So here, okay, what don't, what don't I know? Why did God do it this way? Why blood? Why frogs? I don't know. But what do I know? Here's what I know. And I know it because this, this is unpacked for it for, for, for us. Uh, this is a picture, at the very least, it's a picture, it's history, but it's a picture of God delivering us out of slavery to sin. We're delivered out of slavery to sin. What do I mean by that? Well, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 20, that all of us in the room are in varying degrees, varying measure, at various times, we're slaves to sin. In other words, I'm here, and I know I'm called to be here, but I can't get there. Does this make sense? I'm called to intimacy, but I can't get there. I'm called to honesty, but I keep lying. I'm called, I'm called to generosity, but I'm greedy. I'm called to boldness, but I'm afraid. I'm called to forgiveness, but I'm bitter. I'm here, and I want to be there, and I try, and every time I try, boom, boom. Do you see it? It's in Romans 7. I try, I fail. The good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I don't want to do, I do. What does Paul call that? Slavery. <laughs> and everyone in the room, in varying measures of various times, have been there and were there collectively as people. This is what makes the gospel so incredibly relevant. I mean, we all know racism's wrong. We all know it. And yet there's, racism remains. We all know that the unconscionable violence that is our culture is wrong, and yet it's not now just every day, it's two or three a day shootings in the news. We know it's wrong, we want it fixed, it's not fixed. And it's not just systemic, it's personal. <laughs> I know I'm called to purity, why lust? I know I'm called to generosity, why greed? I know, I try, I fail, slavery. That's, that's this slavery, that's our slavery. And, and so... <laughs> what God is saying here is, look, I've, look, I'm giving you a new identity now, and in this new identity, you, you'll be empowered to be free, and the means to enjoy this new identity is the blood of the Lamb. In other words, you're, like you're delivered out of slavery by the power of the blood of the Lamb. That's what he's saying. And if, you're, if you've hung around the church at all for any length of time, you know an old, old song called Power of the Blood. Who knows what I'm talking about? I'll sing it for you, but forgive me at the beginning, because I don't sing. But it goes like this. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, in the blood of the Lamb. Of the, there is power, power. Do you know it now? You know what I'm talking about? Who's heard the song before? Some of you in the room? So maybe, you know, some of you in the room heard it. It's an old, old hymn we used to sing. And I, so I grew up hearing that song. And I remember, I'm five years old, and I'm hearing this song. And I'm like this. What is this about? Like, but what blood? What power? I don't even understand this. What's going on? And here's the thing. So, so you know, years later, I've, I learned some of these things. And in Leviticus and then again in Hebrews, there's a phrase that shows up. And here's the phrase. The life is in the blood. So what does this mean there's power in the blood? It, it, this is a picture for us of how we need a life we don't have in order to live the life for which we're created. Does that make sense? If I'm here... And I want to get here. This is the life for which I'm created. For me to move from here to here, I need a life I don't have. 
And that life is the life of who? Christ. Christ enabling me to be all that God had in mind when God made me in the first place. And so what God says here is this. Look, when you are kind of existentially aware, like, let me translate, when you know you're inadequate, you just know it. Like, I'm not going to settle for living a life of, of cynicism when I'm called to be a person of hope. I'm not, I don't want to. And now what I do at that moment is this is when I begin to appropriate the, the blood. I say, Christ, I can't be the person of hope you want me to be. Thank you that you have the strength to transform me. I, I live into it. Thank you. I can't be free from lust. Thank you that you freed me. I can't be free from greed. Thank you that you freed me. And I begin to live into it by saying, I can't, but Christ can. This is the Christian life. And for all of us in the room, it's a practice of believing over and over again that God will deliver me. And, and, and so Romans, excuse me, uh, Exodus 12.23 is vital here because in Exodus 12.23, this is what God says. He's, he's explained to Israel what they need to do. And God says, when I see the blood, this is what he says, when I see the blood, I'll, I'll pass over that house. In other words, um, God's telling everybody to put blood on the, on the door. Everybody's being told to put blood on the door. And I'm guessing that when people put blood on the door, not everyone came to that act of obedience with the same amount of faith. Does this make sense? So God says, hey, some blood on the door. And you're like this. Whatever. Sounds crazy to me. But it is Moses after all. And what are the options? <laughs> and he does it. And you know, somebody else on the far other end of the spectrum of faith, God has spoken, I will do it, it will happen. And they're confident. And God doesn't say, when I see the amount of faith with which you put blood on the door, if your faith is adequate, I'll deliver you. No, 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 no. Here's what God says. When I see the blood on the door, I'll deliver you. That's it, that's it. Because you don't deliver yourself. What delivers you? The blood delivers you, not your faith. So it's not the amount of faith you had. How many of us have said this? Oh, I only had more faith. If I had more faith, I need fully more faith. You don't need more faith. You need, you need to, to make sure that the object of your faith is the complete sufficiency of the resurrected Jesus to be in and through you what you can't be on your own. You need that faith. And if you have that faith, this much of that faith is better than this much of misdirected faith. Faith in your own self-discipline, faith in your, in your LinkedIn account, faith in your Visa card, not good. Faith in the resurrected Jesus to transform us so that we can be people of hope in the world, that's good faith. And, you know, a good illustration of this actually is flying. Because if you ever fly, and all of you do, you know that not everyone has the same degree of faith in the laws of aerodynamics who get in a plane, right? Not, not everyone agrees. Some, some people are completely confident. They do it all the time. They don't worry. Other people are terrified. And so I flew over the Cascades one time in a, in a single-engine little plane to go speak at a thing, and there was a lady sitting next to me, and um, th there was a kind of a thunderstorm in the Cascades, and so the plane... If you've been in this, it's like, being, it's like you're riding on a Frisbee when it drops, you know, like this. You're going over the... And I'm like this. This is a roller coaster ride, man. This is awesome. And this lady's like this. No, oh, you know, we're going to die. And she's afraid. But here's the funny thing. We both got there, right? Because the, because the issue isn't who has the most faith. The issue is, do I have enough faith to what? To be in. Do I have enough faith to say, Christ, the life you've called me to live, I've tried and failed, I'm incapable, but I want to move into it. I don't even know what it looks like, but Jesus, here I am. That's this faith. And so, so the Passover meal 
is important because Jesus is, according to John, the Baptist, Jesus is the Lamb of God with a definite article, the Lamb. You don't need bulls and goats anymore, sheep. Christ is the Lamb. And he sacrificed, and Jesus said in John chapter 6, look, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, referring to his death, referring to our remembrance of his death, if the basis of your life is partaking of me, then my life in you will transform you. I mean, you are what you eat. So Jesus says, partake of me on a regular basis, allowing me to be in and through you what you cannot be on your own. This is the Christian life. And so remember the basis of your life. It's not you. It's not your faith. It's not your self-discipline. It's not your self-sacrifice. It's not the degree to which you repent from sin. One thing matters. Am I trusting in Christ to be in and through me what I know I can't be on my own? That's the Christian life. And the fulfillment is found in Christ. So... Our calling then is to remember every day. It's very practical. We wake up and we say, there's a life in front of me today. And I can look over my calendar on my little outlook thing and go, here's a meeting, here's a meeting, here's some time to study, here's some emails that are, I have to respond to. And it's easy to say, you know, we, are, we could do it, we just do it. Or Jesus, would you so saturate my life so that today I'm a person of blessing in every encounter? Because I can't be that. I can do my job but I can't be who God wants me to be. That's faith. Remember the basis of your life. And then, uh, so what happens is there's a miracle. Uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gets tired of everybody dying and frogs and darkness and bugs and all that stuff. And so he says to Israel, basically, get out of here, right? And so then they leave. But then the story gets really, it takes an interesting turn in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 13. So they leave, and what happens here in verse uh, uh, 17 of 3, this is what you read. Follow, this, is funny, this is a funny story. Yeah, watch this. When, so when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of land. In other words, if this mat here is the Red Sea just for a minute, and I'm in Egypt, I'll just say God could have led them around so that, so that they had a way to turn back. He could have led them around, they had a way to turn back. But what it says here is, uh, instead, God led them to the wilderness of the Red Sea. God led them here. Why? Because God said, look, if they have, and I'm paraphrasing, this is what God said, verse uh, 16, if they have a way to go back, they will. They will. So I'm going to send them into the promised land in a way where once they're in there, once they're in the desert, there's no way back to Egypt. I'm going to send them in a way that they won't go back. They won't be able to go back. So they get, God takes them right up to the edge of the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh, the king, has a change of heart, if you know the story. He says, what have we done? You know, we've lost all this means of economic power, and our slaves are, you know, we want them back. So Pharaoh sends his army after them, Right? If you know the story, uh, uh, Israel now, they come up to the Red Sea and they're like this, well, what are we going to do? And then while, while they're pondering, you know, they hear foot, you know, horses or whatever and chariots, and here comes, the army is coming now after them. So then they, so now what do they do? They, well, they get really mad at Moses, Moses the leader. So they, they say, uh, to Moses, verse 11 of 14. Hey, is it because there were no graves in Egypt you've taken us out here to die in the wilderness? Why did you deal with us this way, bring us out of Egypt? We told you, 
Leave us alone. We serve the Egyptians. It would have been better to serve in Egypt than die in the wilderness. So immediately, as soon as there's a problem, the people who have seen God provide and provide and provide and provide and now deliver miraculously. God has been with them every step of the way. As soon as there's a problem, we're like this. We're all going to die. It's terrible. And only that, we go to the leader. And we say to the leader, we wish you'd never come here. I mean, I prefer slavery in Egypt to dying out in the wilderness because clearly God's abandoned us. We're stuck. There's an ocean on one side, you know, an army on the other. What does Moses do? This is hysterical. Moses is like this. He says to the nation, stand by, watch the deliverance of God. Now, <laughs> if you're a leader in the room, by the way, if you're a parent, you're a leader. Like, if you're, if you're breathing, you're a leader. So everybody's a leader. In different ways. I mean, you're all, we're all called to influence in different ways. So here's a group of people mad at their leader because look, oh, you know, things were going swimmingly and now we're stuck. We hate you. And, and then Moses', Moses public response, watch what God does. And then you have to read between the lines a little bit, but in Exodus 14, um, what happens is, uh, I have to read it here. Sorry, my bookmark slipped. Moses, do not fear, says Moses. And then the next verse here is verse 15, where God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? So there's a, there's a missing verse, and here's how you fill in the blanks. Everybody complains to Moses. What does Moses say? Stand by, God's going to do amazing things. Then what does Moses do? God, what on earth are you doing? How is this happening? Are you kidding me? There's no way out, right? And he pours his heart out to God, and then God says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sins of Israel to go forward toward the Red Sea. As you do, lift up your staff and, and stretch it out, the sea, and the sea will be divided, and then you'll go through. It'll be amazing. And so he does that, and the Red Sea parts, and it is amazing. But here's the story. They're cornered by God so that they can learn. And what do they need to learn? They need to watch this. They need to learn that every step forward will be the same as the very first step they took out of, out of slavery. The very first step is the same as every step forward. And why do I say that? Because in Colossians chapter 2, this is what you're told, you and I. It says, in the same way in which you received Christ, so continue to walk in him. Now, in the room, let me just ask the question. How did any of you receive Christ? If you have received Christ, how did anyone receive Christ? There's only one way. And this is, here's the way. You're like this. I can't live the life that I know I'm created for. I can't. I can't do it. And so I need a power I don't have. Christ, I look to you now to be my source. Would you be my source? Not only source of forgiveness, but source of power to be a different person. I want to change. Because I can't live this life. Now, here's what he's saying. That was your first step. It was a step of childlike dependency. Watch this. Every step forward must be the same. And this is where many of us in the Christian life, it becomes boring for us because we begin with abject dependency. We were broken. And then... Pretty soon we develop a sense of, you know what, I've got this. I've got this. I was just talking to somebody recently about um, uh, some exercises I'm supposed to do so that I can run and do things, even though I'm getting old, right? And there's these exercises, I'll just say to you, as long as I do them every day, I'm, f I'm fine. But this, this is what happens to me all the time. It's a pattern. I do them until I'm fine. And as soon as I'm fine, I'm like this. Who needs the exercises? I'm fine. I'm just going to run. And then I run, and then I cut wood, and then, 
you know, I run some more and I'm not doing the exercises. And then, I, then the soap falls in the shower and I bend down and I roll out of the shower. I can't move because my back. And then my wife's like this, did you do the exercises? And I go, I hate you right now. Why? <laughs> like, why? I mean, of course, of course. I mean, of course, you know I didn't do the exercise. And then, and then, well, why not? I mean, the exercise, you got to do the exercises. You can't expect, you know, why not? Well, here's why. Because I'm fine without them. And what's the point? This is the point. In the same way in which you receive Christ, so continue to walk. How did I receive Christ? Broken. And if, you're, if you didn't receive Christ broken, you haven't received Christ. And that's a point. But if you receive Christ broken, hello, you're still broken. You can't fly. You need the plane. <laughs> you need Christ to be for you what you cannot be on your own. And so the desert is going to be this place where they learn that, but they, the, the very first thing that they learn is stand by and watch. And, of course, when Moses raises his stick, the Red Sea parts, um, Israel, you know, they march through, and then the army comes, and then the Red Sea closes and drowns the army, if you know the story. And then Israel sings a mighty song on the other side, look what Moses' stick did. No, that's not what they sang. What they said is, look what God did, because it wasn't the stick, and it wasn't Moses. God gets all the glory, because it's so clearly, clearly what God has done. And so here's the thing that he's saying. Remember the acts of God in your life. Remember. We all need to, desperately need to remember. I, uh, when I come in here, I come in here sometimes when there's nobody in here. And... Uh, Having been here now 21 years, this building was built in 2008, so it's been seven years of my tenure here. We've been at this building. When I'm discouraged, I like to come in this building. And you know why? Because, because in this, there's, there's a story behind this building. Not all of you know the story. But, but here's part of the story of this building, just part of the story of this building. Uh, but many people, long before I arrived, bought houses, hoping someday that Bethany would be able to expand her ministry in the city of Seattle, bought houses where, we're, where we are right now. When I, when I first moved to Seattle, uh, I slept in the foyer of this building, but it wasn't a foyer then, it was a house. And I, that's, where, that's where I lived, in the basement of the house, with a, with a hot pad and a corn popper. It's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I slept there, but then houses we bought, and then, and then long story, we, we were at a point where we'd raised some funds to build, and then bef between raising the funds and actually breaking ground, the cost kept going up. You understand? Because there were delays and the cost kept going up. And then I, I, so we had a meeting at Starbucks with Jim McClurg on staff as my executive pastor and myself and Doug Wynn, who was at the time our, um, our kind of lay leader in charge of the construction project here. And Doug had built... He was, a, he was a construction manager for EMP, so he knows a few things about buildings, right? And so he, he was the one bearing the bad news. And we're sitting over Starbucks there, north end of the lake. And he said, well, I have bad news, you know. Um, we said it was going to be whatever it was. I don't remember the number. But it's this much more, and the gap was enormous. You know, it's hot, you know, hot environment, buildings, whatever. And so everything's exploding. It's too expensive. Sound familiar? <laughs> so I was like this. This is my first response. We can't do it. We can't do it. It's too much. I, I can tell you the math. I mean, humanly, right? Size of congregation, giving, young congregation, student loans, dun, dun, dun. No, we can't do it. So this didn't exist. And here's, 
here's Doug. He listens to me for a while. Me and him went for 45 minutes. After he listens to me for a while, I'll never forget, he pounds the table. Boom, boom. And this is what he does. Richard, God has brought us this far. God will see you through. God will provide for us. You're the leader. We have to build. Now lead, right? <laughs> Just like that. I'm not kidding. In the attic of Starbucks over there, Green Lake. Lead! I'll never forget it. And so reluctantly, reluctantly, I come back. We're going to do this, right? Just like Moses. We're going to do this. God, what are you doing? Just the same, just the same. And now here we are, gathered here this morning. That's why I come in. I like, that's why I like coming in here. It's a reminder. You know what? God's brought us this far. God will bring us where God wants to take us. God will bring us there. It's not just true in, in, in our collective life. It's true, true in our personal lives too. I can tell you story after story after story. Why? Look, remember the acts of God and celebrate them. Remember and celebrate. By the way, Bethany's 100 years old. We're, we're going to do exactly that in October. We're going to remember and celebrate together because there are, there are generations of faithful people gone before us and we, just for our own personal faith and our life together, we need to remember what God has done. So, uh, the miracle. Remember the acts of God. And finally, the desert. So they, they, now they're out in the desert. And what we read in the, about the desert, we read in Exodus 13, again, that God led them in the desert with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to give them light. And so the beauty here, and I'm just going to make this observation, now I'm in the desert. There's no, there's no means visibly, there's no human means visibly of support to sustain life. I need water, I need food, I need, I need shelter in the heat, I need, I need everything, I, I can't, look, I'm out here, I'll die. And here's what God is going to show Israel, uh, no, you won't die. Because even though you have no means, I am your means. And when there's no water, I'll, uh, there will be water. And when there's no food, let me tell you what, there will be food. I will give you everything you need to fulfill the calling I've, I've put on you. I'll give you everything. I'll give it to you in a day when you can see, and this is representative to me of, you know, there are moments in our lives when there's too many choices. How many can identify with that? What do we do? And then I'll, I'll, I'll also be guiding you in the night when you can't even see the next step. I'll still be there. A day. Do, do I take this job or this job? Do I stay or do I move? 4.0, cum laude, options all over. The night. <laughs> Cancer. Abuse, abandonment, infidelity. Here's the deal. God's there. He's there everywhere. God's there. And so what's so important here is to remember the presence of God in the day and in the night. Uh, why? Because if I don't remember the presence of God then I don't remember the acts of God. If I don't remember the acts of God, I don't remember the basis of my life. And if I don't remember the basis of my life, here's what happens. I don't give thanks. And if you fast forward in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 10 sometime, and you read about the nation of Israel, you find this. When they, once they crossed the Red Sea over here, and you know, they made it out in the desert, it says that they spent their time, 40 years in the desert, complaining. I mean, was God providing? Absolutely. They had water. They had food. Even when they got tired of the menu, God gave them a variety. But they were complaining the whole time. They were complaining. 
because, because uh, things didn't unfold in, in, like according to their plan or their expectation or their timetable. And so where there was an opportunity for a, a million chances for gratitude, instead there was complaint. They couldn't see what God was doing. They became blind. I'll just say, this is super important. We need to see the acts of God. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. One of my favorite authors, uh, David Rast is his name, writes in A Listening Heart. This is what he says. He says, how much of the splendor of life is wasted on us because we, we, we plot along half blind, half deaf, all our senses throttled and numbed. We don't see the simple things all around us for which to give gratitude, for which to be thankful. So, I, mean, and this is, I mean, this was written long before Pokemon Go. But I mean, if you try running Green Lake right now, watch out. Because people are literally, I mean, this is like, talk about not seeing. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is all I see. And I'm walking off cliffs, and I'm walking into lakes, and I'm running into people because I'm, I'm not paying attention. This is what God is saying. Look, when you're in the wilderness, remember, celebrate, Pay attention, because even in the wilderness, there's going to be things for which you can give thanks. I woke up on um, uh, Wednesday morning, and I was kind of sick, I had a cold, and I, and I worked, and then I split wood a little bit, and uh, splitting wood was really difficult, and, and, I, and I started to complain. I started to complain a lot. Come on, body. You split wood good in the past. What's wrong? Why are you old? Oh, that's right. It's because I'm old. That's why. And, and but man, I hate that. Why am I old? And then, uh, you know, I want to run. I don't run fast. And then my hip hurts. And then I'm, and I got the cold. And it's raining. And I'm like, oh man, I hate my life right now. It's, I mean, these are all mundane, simple things that I'm just moaning about everything. Can't find my keys. Then, you know, dinner, and then we go to bed, and I can't sleep. I can't sleep. So I get up, and I watch on, uh, watch on TV the end of ESPN Sports Awards. How geeky is that? And then the last award of the night was, uh, or next to last, was Most Courageous. And it wasn't given to an athlete. It was given to a sports commentator who has terminal cancer. But who, in the, in the midst of treatment, 14 straight days of chemo, continued to broadcast. <laughs> and I watched the whole, it's a 20-minute thing, and you see him in the hospital, yucking it up, as, as, like with jokes with the, 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 the chemo nurses and doctors, and, and then, you know, interviewing the San Antonio Spurs coach and players, and, and then driving back to Houston for another round of chemo the next morning. And uh, he gave this speech on gratitude. And I'll just say to you, you know, I hear sermons, I give them, I forget a lot of them. This was a sermon, <laughs> to me anyway, to my own heart. And my living room was a cathedral in the moment. As this guy is saying, do you know what? There's always a reason for gratitude. Always, 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 always. And I, I was in tears at the end. And I, uh, I woke up the next morning, and I was like, wood to cut, yeah, fantastic. So it's slow, I'm just cutting wood, and it smells good, and the neighbors pop in, and we have coffee. 
And, pretty, and we're laughing, and I'm like, man, I feel good today. I have a cold, but I feel great. My shoulder hurts, but I feel great. I'm cutting slow, but I feel great. I can't run today, but I feel great. Why? Gratitude. Do you understand? Let me show you this guy at the end of his little speech so that you can understand, and then we'll worship together. I am grateful to my parents, Coral and Al. They raised me with a positive outlook on life. I always see the glass half full. I see the beauty in others, and I see the hope for tomorrow. If we don't have hope and faith, we have nothing. Whatever I might have imagined, a terminal diagnosis would do to my spirit, it summoned quite the opposite, the greatest appreciation for life itself. So I will never give up, and I will never give in. I will continue to keep fighting, sucking the marrow out of life as life sucks the marrow out of me. I will live my life full of love and full of fun. It's the only way I know how. Thank you and good night. And I don't know this man's faith story at all, but I know this. God has given him eyes to see in a way that has led to gratitude. In a way that's led to gratitude. And that isn't shaped when you get the diagnosis. It's shaped today. It's shaped in our lives right now. Are we people of gratitude? So as we close, uh, we're going to worship together. And this morning, uh, we're just inviting people to write prayers of gratitude in, the, in these books as response uh, to pray with pray team, uh, to share that for which you are grateful. A simple thing. And yet gratitude and seeing and remembering will become the basis of your ongoing transformation freeing you from the stagnation that is so common among people of faith. May we be people of gratitude, even as we worship this morning. Let's worship together.